0: How's everyone doing today? So we're continuing in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, As I said, last week we're going to end that around about Easter time. Uh, This morning is a a pretty cool story in the Scriptures in Mark chapter 12. If you have a Bible with you, feel free to turn there. Uh, Someone was going to read Scripture for us in a minute, and the word uh, will be on the screen. But it's Mark chapter 12, verses 18 to 27 this morning. And it's talking about resurrection uh, it's kind of mentioned several times throughout the passage and it's, it's a big part of this passage. And I must say in light of the week that I just had, uh, that sure is an attractive subject to me, resurrection. You know, that, that Jesus come, you know, take me. Um, Ronna left last Tuesday is the first thing I'm gonna say to be with her mother. As many of you know, uh, her mother's on hospice care uh, with a chronic lung uh, issue that we don't know how long she has on this earth. She loves Jesus with all of her heart. But it's been kind of a hard week for Ronna, but um, she's been gone. But I am kind of feel glad in some ways that Ronna was gone because she missed out on what really happened. Uh, every single day this week since she left, there's been one after another chaotic, dramatic, ridiculous, frustrating events that pushed my patience to the limits. And it was like literally like all of creation rolled up its sleeves and said, let's just like destroy him while she's gone. Okay. Um, night one. Ronald left Tuesday morning. Night one, I had coffee. I met with one of you wonderful people for coffee. I never drink coffee afternoon. I had coffee at 4, 5 o'clock. So midnight, I'm still awake. Why did I do that? You're an idiot, Grant. One o'clock, the, the worst smell I've ever smelt since the last time I smelled the smell, the smell of skunk, if you know what that's like, just pervaded the room, like, strongly. It was like a like a World War I kind of gas attack or something, right? And I'm lying there, but I'm so tired. I'm like, I'm not moving. I'm just going to, like, pillow in my face. And it just got worse and worse. I did not sleep a wink that night. Uh, the next morning, Kira comes out, and the whole living room, everything is stinking of skunk. Searched around the house. There was a hole in the side of the house. I was like... Not again. This happened before, and last time they caught a possum, but I'm like, okay, there's a skunk in there. Um, Spent most of the day on Wednesday waiting for the landlord, who seemed to be taking all the time in the world to come and deal with this thing, Uh, and then a trapper guy to come. They set a trap. That night, uh, the trap, of course, is right inside my bedroom window where the skunk got in. Um, At about 10.30, 11 o'clock, I heard a snap, and then I heard the rest of the night, scrabble, 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 something in the trap, Right? And then at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was woken up, stood all the windows open because it was so smelly. I don't know if you guys got hit, but, but Wednesday night, a super gale storm Santa Ana winds thing came through, and it trashed our yard Aww. and blew through the whole house. I went and shut the windows, and I was like, what is, it's apocalyptic. <laughs> so this is, this is night two, so no sleeping at all. Uh, the next day, uh, there was a, uh, they found out the trapper guy came. It was a possum he caught. He said, oh, that's fine. That's your problem fixed. And he put a, some melting back on the sealed the, the hole again, and took off. And then later on the day, I got a text from our landlord that said, the, the landlord, sorry, from the property manager, saying the landlords were over there, and they're concerned that you're subletting the shed. This is unacceptable. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Apparently, we had this, you know, pre-fab storage place, because they won't let us use the shed in the yard, so we got one of those ones with you know poles and stuff, and she'd taken a peek in it and saw there was a chest of drawers in there and thought, we're let, renting it out. Uh, the chest of drawers was behind all of our junk and garbage and Christmas decorations and bikes and tools and all this stuff. I'm like, we wouldn't be charging much for that. But, <laughs> but I was just like shocked. Like, you're, you're saying we're subletting? So I'm just like, one thing after the other. Um, so, so then, so that's what day is that. I'm lost count now, man. That's uh, Thursday. Um, so then, uh, sorry, uh, the next night, yeah, Then so then I actually heard sounds that next night, and I'm trying to sleep, and I hear all the sounds against my window, and I go out, and there was indeed a skunk, like, strongest skunk ever, breaking the wires that he had put in there, <laughs> and it turned its little Peppy Le Pew butt towards me and threatened to spray me, so I, of course, backed off quickly, because I, the house is already stinking, you don't need me covered in it, too. So I waited for a while, and I was like, went and checked it out, and I put a big concrete block in front of it when he'd gone and and tried to patch it up. Next morning I came, the concrete block was literally smashed in half, (laughs) and the hole was back, and the skunk's under the house again. And that same night, we had all kinds of family chaos, just chaos. I ended up having to drive to Pomona and all this stuff. It was just bonkers. And I was like, literally, what is happening to me? Uh, and then my dad's in hospital sick, you know, my sister's stuff. I was just like, one of those times, and I seriously, I'm literally running on very little sleep this week, so forgive me if I say weird things this morning, okay? Uh, I am too tired to climb a ladder like Josh did before, and I was too tired to hand out free coin, Roman coins, so if you're expecting any pastor stunts today, or gifts, forget about it. I'm not going to be watching the Super Bowl, I'm going to be sleeping today. Um, but definitely, was that? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 no coffee. Um, but I definitely experienced like, the limits of just human stuff. I could, it was ridiculous. It was literally like the world is trying to just like, take me out. Um, and, and things that make you go, how long, oh, Lord? Oh, Lord Jesus, how long? I am ready. Take me. <laughs> Maybe right now? How about you guys? How about you? Does the prospect sometimes of an escape from planet Earth, weeks like that, or other things that are happening, just sometimes feel really attractive to you? perhaps this morning, you know, in this room, there are, there, are, there are the untold, countless sorrows, pains, struggles, challenges, obstacles that we're facing, and sometimes we don't see it, we don't show it, trouble with finances, family dysfunction with parents or children or siblings, trouble with your health, or things in the past that remain unresolved and they still haunt you to this day, or trouble trusting God in times of serious difficulty, guilt and shame around habits that you can't seem to control or to give up, and You know, what does the resurrection mean for you? Reading this passage felt attractive to me to say, is there life, there's life, there's got to be life. Have you even heard of such a thing as the resurrection? What do you think happens when we die? What is your idea of heaven? This morning, uh, Gina is going to read to us this story of another group of men who come to Jesus and it's in this section where people are coming to try and trap him and trick him and expose him and have him ridiculed and set away because he's a threat to their power. Once again, these men come and their motives are dishonest and their question is designed to trap Jesus. But once again, Jesus demonstrates his incredible wisdom and he also takes this opportunity, this false opportunity, these false motives to teach about the kingdom of God for anyone who has ears to hear what he has to say. And he calls us toward true hope in the most troubled times. I'm gonna ask Gina if she'll, where's Gina? Are you Are gonna come up? and yeah, read this text for us. This is Mark chapter 12, thank you.
1: Mark 12, 18 through 27. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and rise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. Now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Is he not, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken.
0: So this is a story in two distinct parts. Part one, Two sections. Part one is the Sadducees with their hypothetical question, quite long winded hypothetical question. The second part, part two, is Jesus' response to them. Part one, we could see as a, as a glimpse once again into our broken human uh, outlook and tendencies. These, these people seem representative. Last week, about politics, and this week, kind of about theology and how we understand. Uh, the concept of resurrection or life after death. Part two is a concrete word from Jesus concerning hope. Um, You know, no one else is mentioned here. It's just Jesus. There are probably people watching, but in the passage, it's Jesus and these Sadducees. And I imagine a dark stage because I do that, you know, I, when you read scripture, I kind of sometimes get these pictures. The dark stages, these two groups of protagonists together with a spotlight on each one. He's got the, these uh, Sadducees on one side, Jesus uh, on the other side. And, and this morning, we are the audience for this exchange. So as I said, last week, if you were here last week, it was a political question. Should we, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Uh, and then this week, it's more of a theological one. So enter Sadducees. Does anyone know what this is? I couldn't resist, okay? That's good, thanks. Let's stop it before it gets too rowdy and I start singing. Yeah, enter Sandman, right? But I couldn't resist. And and also, okay, you know, trivia here, Dieter Zander, who who was the person God used to start this church way back in the day, is actually a personal friend of James Hetfield, the lead singer Metallica. I noticed how I went to Dieter's house in Portland, uh, well, sorry, Washington State, and um, he had a picture of him with with, with uh, James Hatfield. I was like, "No way, cool!" And I said, "Oh yeah." So, um, but this is so. These are the Sadducees. Enter the Sadducees, um, and they and they come into the picture. Very, well, this is the only time they're mentioned in in the whole of the Gospel of Mark. You know, they're very much tied to the temple in Jerusalem, and because Jesus is there, now they come. But this is the only time that they're mentioned, but it's, a ve- it's very important for them to be, get a word in here. They want to be involved in this kind of plot to remove this guy, Jesus. <clears throat> and Mark tells us two things about them. I was thinking this week, sometimes like I can go and read commentaries that very, very clever people have written, uh, but sometimes it worries me because um, I will then have information that, that you don't have unless you go find these resources, Right? Uh, and it can cause us to think, well, we, I can't, can't read the Bible for myself, right? I probably can't read it. But Mark tells us some things, so you don't really need to go to other places to find out all the clever stuff about this. He tells us two things about the Sadducees that are, which are particular to them and really important for this uh, story. And the first is the resurrection. They don't believe that there is a resurrection, Mark tells us. Uh, They were very powerful men and they were where the priests came from, Uh, but unlike the Pharisees who believed in a life after death, the Sadducees did not have any belief in that at all. They didn't believe in many supernatural things. They didn't believe in such things as angels or they were very, very materialist kinds of people. And then Scripture, they believed that only the first five books of the Bible, what we call the Old Testament, were actually authoritative for life. The books written by Moses, they revered him, and that's what they believed uh, about that. So the resurrection, they didn't believe in this, and they have a very particular view of one tiny part of Scripture, which is the thing that they believe is true. Uh, so, what do we see? What is the the, the broken nature of these men that that kind of comes out, that we might even perhaps see in our own world today? Well, the first thing is the Sadducees; uh, they are misusing the scriptures to justify their position. They come with this question that they say is from Moses. Moses told us this, uh, and they're using it in a very particular way. Um, there's a saying that says you can prove anything from the Bible. Have you heard that before? And it's kind of true, but sometimes what it takes is, is a, a dishonest uh, use of the Bible, but it is quite common. So th- this re- they don't believe in the resurrection, and that belief, you know, beliefs do have implications for life, for actions, and their lack of a belief in the resurrection uh, caused them to be very much all about the now, Uh, If life here now is all there is, then they're going to fight very hard to ensure that they receive as much reward right now in their three score years and 10. So these men, they have a vested interest in keeping this doctrine of a no resurrection thing. And they come to Jesus trying to kind of use that to say there is no resurrection. And in some ways they're doing it to justify their lives of power and acquisition and wealth. And so they actually take this scripture, and it's found in Deuteronomy 25, Old Testament. Uh, There is actually a word about this that Moses uh, had put down as a command to the Israelites. And I'm going to read it in full for you, so make yourself comfortable. This is what it says in Deuteronomy. It says, If brothers are living together, and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so his name will not be blotted out from Israel. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders of the town gate and say, my, so the wife will go and say, my brother's, husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not summon the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, this is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandled. Did you know that was in the Bible? The Bible's weird, isn't it, at times? But this is what they're referring to, but they have taken this passage, uh, which was I mean, the the clear thing we see there, it was about lineage. It was about the property remaining in a particular part of of Israel and ancestry. And that this line of this family would continue. But also, I believe, somewhat is for the protection of the woman. Because uh, it was very different back then to be a woman whose husband had died. That could leave you very vulnerable. And so there was a lot of really good things involved in this. And what these Sadducees were doing is taking the Scripture... And they had such a preoccupation with their unbelief and their power that they put two and two together. And they come to Jesus and demonstrate such a lack of understanding about what this passage was originally designed for. And they're using it for their own ends. Um, these are very practical rules. And the Sadducees are twisting scripture. You know, it's still common today. The Bible's a powerful thing, isn't it? It's a powerful thing, and all kinds of people will use it for their own ends, from politicians quoting the Bible, or actually often misquoting the Bible, uh, to pastors using the Bible to coerce or to control people. It is very powerful, and God help me if I ever find myself using the Word of God to seek to coerce or control people, because it's something that's supposed to be freeing us and giving us life. But these people were not doing this. The second thing they were doing is they were engaging in useless debate. You know, words are precious, aren't they? Aren't words precious? They are powerful. And I think sometimes, I know I speak a lot, man, but I'm not preaching. Look out, family, if I've got a lot of words left over for the week, I'm gonna be like, ah! But words are precious. And, and the long-windedness of this question that they ask is, is just a waste of words. It's useless debate. It's taking up Jesus' precious time. I'm, a, I'm impressed he stands there and listens to them. Uh, it reminded me in some ways of like, I don't know if you guys have ever been in college or university or school or whatever, and there's always this one student who wants to ask some big long-winded question, okay, and they don't know anything, right? They've just gone to college, first class. The professor, perhaps, is like the expert in the field, you're right, and I, I've seen this, and then but there's that one person who's like, and he asked this question designed to make them look clever, Right, And it's kind of this private, it reminds me of this a little bit. They come to Jesus doing this. Um, And one of the worst things about this is that that they have this kind of privilege, okay? They have a privileged position. They have power. They have authority. And this is what they do with their time. They come up to Jesus and they bring this hypothetical, long-winded, wordy question. And meanwhile, all around them, there are the poor and the marginalized and the broken people and the sick who Jesus has been ministering to, and this is what they are choosing to do with their time. It is a waste of time. I remember, you know, uh, we can get into this. The church, often we have these doctrines and we argue, we argue, we argue about them, right? And we shut one another out of our lives. I want to share a quick story with you. Um, In Olympia, Washington, and I was pretty new back to church. This is back in 1999. I was so eager, I would volunteer for anything. And one time the pastor that was there and his wife were like, hey, we have a Christmas Eve service, let's go and hand leaflets out all over the neighborhood. You know, ever, anyone ever done that? And no one ever answers the door, right? But um, so we went out and we were going around and I'm doing the Lord's work and I'm feeling so, I was very kind of naive often about what the church, you know, can be like. And, and at the same time we saw there were some Jehovah witnesses who were going around the same apartment complex and they're doing their thing. They didn't speak to us, we didn't speak to them, I don't know. And then we saw there was another group of people also going around handing out leaflets. I'm like, what is this like? You know, it's the day for it. But we saw this other group and they came by us and were like, hey, how are you doing? Um, and they were like, oh, here. So where are you from? They said, oh, we're from Touch and Touch Bible Baptist Church. And I said, oh, we're from Westside Community Church down the road. And um, while we were doing this, the, the woman who was with this other group was looking our pastor's wife up and down. Okay? And then they started engaging, she said, do you use the King James Bible? We're like, well, no, we use the NIV sometimes, but you know, it's like, oh, we're King James only. Okay, and it, and then they're involved, like standing in the middle of this parking lot in this complex filled with people hurting. We're two church groups, Christians, right? And I was getting frustrated by this conversation. And and, and even the woman actually said about King James, oh, it's... Uh, you know, it's fourth grade language. Anyone can understand it. Because when, when the wife, it was very demeaning and rude. And I, and I burst out, my youthful exuberance. I was youthful then. I said, it's ridiculous that we both believe in Jesus, the crucified, resurrected one. And we're standing here arguing about what Bible translation to use. And there's Jehovah Witnesses busying around the place, sharing things that I think are not the best way to think about Jesus. And we're standing here, this is how we're using our time. It reminds me of this. Useless debate, a waste of words. While all around them, they're they're the broken people here. So Jesus responds is the next thing. I couldn't find a band logo for Jesus responds. So apologies for the lack of continuity. And also it felt a little bit weird to do that with Jesus' name. So... You know, Jesus is not fooled. I love Jesus in the Gospels, the way he responds to people. Because even though the question is false and it's designed to trick him, he almost just takes them seriously. He's like, okay, you're saying this? I'm answering you. And he takes an opportunity to respond. And his response couldn't be more different than the Sadducees. Whereas they were uh, these wordy, hypothetical things. He speaks in concrete terms. And the first thing he says is, you are wrong. You know, I'm cautious about saying that to people, but I'm not Jesus. Jesus is allowed to do that. He says twice, actually, in the passage, he says, are you not in error? And then he says, you are badly mistaken at the end. And it perfectly sandwiches what he says. He starts with, you're in error. At the end, you're badly mistaken. And the word that he uses there, it's the same word both times. It actually means to have wandered away from the truth, you know? I think most people who do this stuff don't mean to. They don't set out to be, hey, I finished seminary. I'm going to go try and mislead people into really bad ways of think about God, right? These men have wandered away. And the tragedy is that they were supposed to be Israel's teachers, but they had lost their way completely, and they had reduced the truth about God's word to argumentation to support their power. They had weaponized the words of hope. Jesus was not going to leave the challenge unmet. He's perfectly honest with them. And he talks about something, knowledge. He talks about knowledge. Twice he says, you do not know. You do not know. And I was, uh, every week, Josh and Melody and I, we have a teaching team meeting. And no matter who's preaching, we talk about the passage. First we say, okay, how does that hit, hit us personally? Because if it doesn't hit us first, how on earth are you going to share it with anyone? You've got to let it like, speak to your own life. So this week, Josh and I, Melody is gone. She's actually with her dad and her brother, helping them get set up. In Ohio. Um, is that right? I'm so confused by my state still. It's been 23 years. I've still not caught it down, right? Um, but uh, he and I talked, and we're talking about this concept of knowing, because Jesus says, here's the problem you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. But these guys, they're like the experts in the Bible. If anyone in, in Jerusalem at that time knew, Probably memorized huge swathes of it as part of their education, they would know. And Josh mentioned, he was like, you know, there's two kinds of knowing, right? There's knowing about, and, there, and then there's knowing with, right? And so we're thinking of it's like, uh, think of a celebrity, anyone. Who's the best football player on the Rams team? The <laughs> Who? You guys not even, you're not even fans, are you? Who's the best player in the Rams? Huh? Yeah, that guy. I, am, I will be napping, remember? So you could read his bio, you could watch him playing, all that stuff you could do. But if you were to live in his world, accompany him in his comings and his goings, it's so, so completely different. And I think we can be deceived. Sometimes I think we know. Yeah, we know, we know. But there is a knowing that is that is so beyond its personal experience. And this is what he's talking about. And here's these Sadducees to maintain their perspective and their lives and all the things, they had to keep God at arm's length. They couldn't invite him in. This Jesus is concerned about this. The ones, this is a danger for pastors, too. I deal with the Bible all the time, and I can think I know but I can sometimes keep God at arm's length because he meddles with stuff. <laughs> he gets into my life and he starts to rearrange things and change things and I feel conviction and, I, and, I, and I, I, sometimes I want to. And these men were doing exactly that. They, they knew, but they didn't know. And that's the greatest tragedy to not know. So Jesus responds with two things. First one is you don't know the scriptures. And they're like, of course we know the scriptures. From childhood, we've learned them but he's talking about their use that demonstrates their lack of knowledge of the whole counsel of God, the heart of God that is revealed in the word. They're proving by the way they use these words that they have missed it. They're using the Bible to justify their position. Jesus uses the scriptures to glorify God and magnify his name to promote the deepest of movement toward love and toward neighbor. This living word that, that is encapsulated in Jesus and pours out of his every word and action. He lives the word. And these, to these men it is simply one more tool in their arsenal to maintain their power. Jesus, the scripture for him is the wonderful, ever revel, relevant, relevant story of God's redemption of the creation that he formed and that he loves. And then Jesus also responds and says, You don't know the power of God. Well, how can they know the power of God when their own power is so important to them? Last week I talked about Jesus came and demonstrated power by giving up power. He's the one who gives away power and trusted fully in his Father. So Jesus makes uh, three statements which we're gonna kind of cover a little bit. one of them is kind of weird, and I was reading this speaking going like, what does that even mean? Um, but they kind of go together. The first thing he says, okay, they, they're, they're dead, because they talk about marriage, right? Whose uh, husband, whose wife? Which husband, which man will be the husband of the wife when these seven men died, right, in the resurrection? We don't believe there is one, but so it's ridiculous, isn't it? Who will be, and Jesus says, you know, there's no marriage in heaven. Um, And I know we can get tripped up sometimes on on literal details, okay? And this is what we have to understand for these parts. Because then the second thing he says, the dead will be like angels, okay? So you take the first one literally and you can go like, depending on the quality of your marriage, you could be happy or sad about that one, (laughs) right? But he's not even really talking about like whether you'll be married to your spouse now in heaven. He's talking about the quality of the existence beyond death in the new kingdom, the new heaven and new earth. What does it look like? And then the second thing, the dead will be like angels. And we can think, And I know it's sometimes comforting to think that you know the ones who have passed away, they're like angels looking down on us. And, and we can get caught up in that too and go, well, does that mean that they become angels, all that kind of stuff? But really, once again, Jesus is trying to teach them something very important. And what it really is is that he's trying to invite them to a higher, greater imagination of what this might be. You don't understand the scriptures. You don't understand the power of God. And then he says these kind of, enigmatic things about marriage. Basically, he's trying to tell them, like, you have not understood and you cannot understand how beyond, how other, how completely nothing like this thing that you're clinging to, that you think is all there is, this one life that you've got to grasp and maintain and keep and get and exert power. You need to move beyond that and realize that there's something incredible that God is doing um, in this resurrection and then he says, God is the God of the living and not the dead. And he uses their own scriptures. be—you know, They only believed the first five books of the Bible were, were worth anything. So Jesus goes right to there and tells of the story when Moses saw the burning bush and he came up. And he said, who are you? And, and God said, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so Jesus takes that and says, God is the God of the living because God is always alive. These people have never died. They've never gone away. And He's really trying to blow their minds, really, and, and shake them out of their earthbound existence and start to have them wonder Why, what is He talking about? To inquire, to explore, to be curious about this. So finally, here, here's, here's kind of the final thing I want to say before we have, go to communion. Um, he talks about the scripture. And he talks about power, okay? He says, you don't know the Bible, you don't know the scriptures. And he talks about, you don't know the power of God. And here's how it works. The scripture promises. The scripture, to understand rightly scripture, it is a promise from God that he will save, he will redeem, he will rescue. And then the power of God accomplishes. The power of God accomplishes. The word promises and the power accomplishes. And we're, this sermon here is, is called, This is Jesus. And that's so perfectly encapsulated in who he is, who He was and who he is. He is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Standing right before them that day is full understanding of all the things they've ever been taught. And he is right in front of them that day. And in him is the power of God. And we're coming to the point now where he's gonna enter into more controversy. He's gonna be arrested and they're gonna crucify him. And at that point, this resurrection truth will take place for the very first time. The promises will all be fulfilled in Christ and the power of God will raise him from the dead, thus opening a door for all who have a week like me or worse that we can say, yes, Lord, this is difficult, this is tough, but Lord, you are the God of the living. I want your life going to go to communion as a way of responding now before we sing some more songs. Uh, because as we said, uh, this table, we call it the table, right? Because it's based around the night when Jesus invited his friends, uh, as weak as they were, to come uh, and sit with him and enjoy a meal. And he took wine and he took bread and he gave it a new meaning and said, like, this is my body, this is my blood. Uh, and I know I don't know about you, but like, like I said, I'm, I'm seriously sleep-deprived today. I'm, I've rarely been aware of my mortality <laughs> than this week. And it sounded funny to read it, but it was not funny to live it. And I left out a whole bunch of other things that, that, that kind of cut my heart this week. So I come to the table. I don't even have any stuff. If anyone doesn't have a communion thing, please raise your hand. I'm w- right with you guys. Oh, oh, thank you. <laughs> So, um, I don't know, is that you today? Like, are you limping to the table today a little bit? Like, this is more than just a, a, a Sadducee kind of act, right? A religious act. This is actually an opening up of our hearts. We come, perhaps, on our knees, perhaps, on all fours, but just weary and battered. And it's a promise to come to receive nourishment, to receive life to receive power. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul. Man, talk about a bad week. Talk about, there's some stuff that that guy went through. And he talks about it in a letter to a church in Corinth because you know, they were having some issues and to, uh, stuff too. And, and he, he talks about a time when he called out to God and said, please take this away from me. I, I can't bear this burden any longer. And he received from God these words, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties for when I am weak, then I am strong. There's nothing wrong happening that you are having trouble in your life, whatever it might be. We live in a broken, fallen world that Jesus walked in. He experienced the very same afflictions of mind and body and soul. And he cried out to God too. Therefore, he walks with us and he invites us to let him be the companion in our journey because he promises life to us both now and eternally. And I don't know what it's going to be like when we step out of this world, but he has promised and he has fulfilled and he will do it. And on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And he took wine. You know, wine in the Bible is a symbol of joy. That's like so human, you know. Wine is a symbol of joy, but it is also a symbol of the blood of Christ that was spilt. That feels like life to me. Joy and sorrow co-mingled. That's where Jesus meets us. And he is in fellowship with us in that place. He said, all of you drink from it, even you, Judas, even you, Peter, to the blood of Christ. Let's sing praises to God.